of our message. And while you're turning to First Peter, finding your seats, I'll ask the Lord for his grace. Now, Heavenly Father, we always bow our hearts uh, before you. Before we look into your word, we recognize, Father, that it is spiritually discerned. It, it, we need to understand these spiritual truths with the help of your Holy Spirit. This is a living word to us this morning. And, Father, it's exciting to know that you foreordained those who would hear this message this morning and bring us to this place for a reason or purpose. You have predestined this moment uh, to speak to each heart that you have called to be in this place. So we acknowledge that, and we want to get the most out of it by having faith and yielding our hearts to the still, small voice we hear. Talk to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible talks a lot about God as a mighty rock, a fortress. The image, of course, is strength and Stability, safety for the one who trusts in him. In fact, our namesake verse for our church, the rock, is out of the psalm that we read together this morning, Psalm 62, where it says in verse 7, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. And so this idea, of course, as God as a rock takes center stage in the heart of Jesus' teaching, since Jesus is called God incarnate. Incarnate just means to fill. So God filled a human body through a human womb, and out came God with us, Emmanuel, or Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he's equal to God in every way. Think of Jesus as God in a human body, because the scriptures say that the, in him dwelt the fullness of deity in complete form. And so uh, it makes sense to me that Jesus can conclude a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, by saying, build your life on what I'm saying, and the storms of life will come, and you will be safe and secure Torrential rains will come down, the floodwaters will rise, guaranteed. And the gale force winds will blow and beat against your house. Yet it does not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. I am the rock, he will say. Jesus Christ. It can't be a man. A mere man cannot tell everybody to build on him and that the gates of hell will not come against you. A mere man cannot say, I'm the light of the world if anybody comes to me. If anyone in the whole world comes to me, you'll never walk in darkness. A mere man can't say, where two or three are gathered together, there I will be in the middle of it all. A mere man cannot say, come to me, anyone who is weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. A mere man cannot promise to give peace to everybody's soul. But he's not just a mere man, born of a woman, but he was born of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have an earthly father. And so God, Jesus Christ, is 
the rock. He is the rock of our salvation. Well, with all of that in mind, I came across an interesting video clip. It's only 60 seconds. We'll stop it there. But it gets you um, headed in the direction that this text will bring us. And so go ahead and show that video as soon as it's ready to come up. And in the meantime, there we go. All of a sudden, it just came a horrendous crash. That was last Wednesday morning at Janet and Lloyd Williams' house. At first glance, Janet couldn't tell what was wrong. Then she opened the door to the basement. Went down the steps, and the steps were crushed. The deep freeze had fallen over onto the steps, and there was the earth. Earth that came from her front yard when the home's foundation gave way. There's the porch, and there's nothing holding it up. Fifteen minutes after emergency crews arrived, the Williams house was condemned, unsafe for habitation. Later in the day, the couple's insurance company said earth movement damages are not covered by their plan. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> The rains came instead of being warm and cozy in their jammies on the couch, sipping hot chocolate, their house was sinking into the ground, caving in all around them. And then interesting choice of words when the inspector comes to inspect and evaluate whether a home is safe or not, condemned. Condemned, says the inspector, unsafe and unfit for habitation because of a faulty foundation. Foundation is supposed to withstand a little rain. Now, Peter, here in chapter 2, in his God-breathed letter to struggling Christians who are Heading into a nasty stretch of weather themselves. They are living in the Roman Empire under the fierce persecution of Nero. Uh, so Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is encouraging them by pointing them out, pointing out to them rather, how secure they are in Christ, the rock, and how perilous and awful the destiny uh, that awaited their unbelieving. Uh, persecutors because of their relationship to that same rock. Let's pick up then in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God the Father and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says in Isaiah 28 and verse 16. See I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, Psalm 118, verse 22, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 
quoting from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So let's pause there for this morning's consideration and reflection of God's word. Above all, Peter wants his Christian readers to know that they are safe come what may. Their lives are built and founded on the mighty rock of God. Now, this leads Peter to compare Jesus and all believers who follow Jesus to a mighty building, specifically, really, the mighty temple there in Jerusalem, this giant rock-hewn edifice. I'm going to show you a picture, just a little model of it uh, later. This um, unmovable building, he's saying, I want you to see Jesus is like the cornerstone of that or the foundation. And we are like living stones. We are like the walls. Because even back 2,000 years ago, it was not about a building, though they thought it was. So the Lord is starting to remove that understanding from them that it's not about a building, God is doing a work in people's lives. He is a living God, and it is a living temple. In fact, he's going to say that God is doing his work in people's hearts, knitting believers together. They will be the church building, if you, were, if you would, and that the foundation of that would be Jesus. So verses 4 through 10, before we get started here, Peter's comparing us believers to this Jewish temple and to the priests who served in the temple and comparing what we should be doing in a spiritual way to what they were doing. He's saying it's a picture of what the Lord had for his people in the day that we live in Christ. And so, and more importantly, it's going to talk about how Christ fits into this building. So this week, let's examine what he's saying about Jesus in this structure. And once we see who Jesus is, we can talk about who we are in light of who he is. So next week, we'll talk about our role and the comparison he makes to us calling us living stones. And next week, we'll find out what that kind of odd phrase means. So this morning, think of Jesus as a mighty rock, Peter says. And he tells you three things about the rock in your verses 4 through 10. He says, the rock's alive, number one. It's alive, it's living. Number two, he says, it's very important. It's a very important rock. And then number three, he says, it determines every human destiny. All right? So let's just take a look at those three things. We'll wrap it up with communion. First of all, he's saying, this is no ordinary rock that I'm talking about. Uh, No ordinary cement slab here. This cement foundation is breathing. It's alive. Your paraphrase there, in faith you're coming to a person, the rock, who's alive. This living, breathing, indestructible foundation stone is a person. He's alive. So he's saying, through your faith in God, Peter is saying, you're coming to a person who is mighty and powerful to save. And he is, above all, 
because he is God and in him you are safe because nobody can destroy God. So number one, he's living. Everything about true Christianity is about a living person, not about a religion, not about principles, not about what we do and what we don't and what we can do and what we can't do. That has nothing to do with Christianity. That has to do with a religion. And so this is a living thing. I, when I talk to people about the Lord, inevitably, they say, uh, I was just talking to one guy just the other day, and he was saying, he goes, look, I have an aunt who's into it. But I'm not really into it because, you know, when I was little, I was maybe into it and all of the it pronouns. And so I said, can I correct one thing that you're saying? It is not about it. When did I say anything about it? It's about him. It's a person. We call him father. It is a relationship. It is not a religion. Get that out of your head. If you want to be into something, you can be into yoga. Yogurt, I almost said, <laughs> which I am into yogurt. <laughs> There's a frozen yogurt on Mendocino. That's just let me tell you. You guess the weight, and if you guess the weight, it's free. But you've got to guess within the, you know, the last little tenth, and it's no fun. But, uh, but I digress. <laughs> you can be in to yoga... <laughs> You can be into it, but you can't be into it if, if the it is a person. It's about a person. Who, how did Paul the Apostle become a Christian? Saul, the terrorist persecutor, Pharisee, who hated Christ and his people, met a person. A person spoke with a mouth. Jesus spoke and said, Saul, Saul, what is your problem? What are you doing to me and my people? This is like one day he woke up and found religion. He didn't find anything. A person found him. And he found a person. If you have anything else, man, you don't have the real thing. The word here for living stone in the Greek is zao, which means to live, to breathe. To be among the living, not the dead. To enjoy real life, not mere existence. And so everything about Jesus is living. In John 4, the Lord meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And they're chatting. And he asks for a drink. And she says something. And he said, lady, if you only knew who it was talking to you, you would be asking me and I would be giving you za'o water. Now, that's not like the new coconut water that's out or any kind of trendy drink. But he said, I'll give you living water. She said, sir, uh, the well's very deep. And how are you going to get this living water? Because I'm interested in living water. He said, the water I give, boy, it'll quench your thirst. You'll never be thirsty again because it's living. Then he says in John 6, I am the Zao bread from heaven. I am the living bread that when you trust in Christ, it will feed your soul and make you alive. If you drink the water from you will flow Zao, life eternal. 
And that once we become alive, we bring the word of life and the gospel to others. And that living water flows from us, John chapter 7. He says, it's a living, breathing rock that you come to. Please don't just say, you know, I've come to, you know, the four noble paths of Buddhism. No, you did not. You didn't come to ten commands that you're going to keep. Because you know what? You've broken all of them. You can't go a weekend without breaking them. Honestly, in your heart. You didn't come to the five pillars of Islam. What are the principles of Christianity? There are none. Because it's not a religion. It's about God, the Zao God, the living God, who comes into that closed up room with those scared disciples and what does John 20 say he breathed on them that's what Christianity is about and they came to life not about what we're going to stop doing and start doing and all of this stuff what we can eat what we can't eat what kind of music I listen to yes that living water will have a moral impact on your life but you cannot Uh, Boil Christianity down to any rules. You cannot. Here's the rule. There's one rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Somebody came up to him and said, tell us the most important rule of all out of the 600 Jewish rules and commands. He says, there's only one to worry about. Love God. Come to life. Be born again. Walk in love, keep yourself in step with the love of God. That's the rule. None of this it stuff. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And it says, and when the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, a father, I go to the rock because he's living and alive. Secondly, he says this rock is very, very important. It's the cornerstone. Now, cornerstone doesn't really ring a bell with all of us, really. We think of foundation more than a cornerstone, though I believe we still use the cornerstone. The cornerstone lines up everything else. If you're out of sync with the cornerstone, the building's no good. The structure's going to fail. But we think in terms of foundation, and that's a better thought for us to look at. And he says, so this is the rock, Jesus, who holds everything together, it is very, very important. He's just not a good teacher or a religious example or a prophet. He is what the scriptures say, holds everything together by the power of his word. Let me read a little of Colossians chapter 1 to you. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created. By him, all things were created. Tell me where in the Bible it says that Jesus ever said he was God. Repeat after me. Colossians. 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 Chapter 1. Verse 15. There you go. (laughs) 
by him all things were created. How does a man create the universe? By him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So he's saying this is a very important rock. This is a very important person. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. It's a very important, it's an exclusive, and the word is in the Greek, he is the chosen way. It's important because there are no other ways because it's God's pick to save us. And God started warning that there would be one way. When he told the enemy of our souls and of his own being, the devil, who deceived Eve in the garden, and Eve went to Adam, and they ate, and they transgressed, they sinned, and death came and spread to all men because of that. And the Lord says to the evil one in the garden, someday, through one of these creatures whom you just slain spiritually, through one of their wombs, I will bring a conqueror. You will bruise his heel. He will crush your head. Ah, there's a chosen way already in the eternal counsels of God. Long before this earth was created, God said, I saw this coming, and I have an exclusive, particular one exclusive way to save them. I will come through a human womb, the sinless one, God Almighty, who spoke all things into existence. I, myself, will be the chosen way. Jesus Christ's name means the Lord is salvation, Jesus. Christ is not his last name. It means, <laughs> it means, it means the one it means the chosen one. It's like a big arrow over him. Jesus, the one, the way, the conqueror of the enemy, the one who will crush his head. So when people say, you know, all roads lead to God, and it's all the same, just pick and choose, that's where it says you're going to get into trouble. Because God has a way, a chosen way, and it's precious to us. But it's a stumbling point for unbelievers. This living, chosen, precious stone, he says, was laid in Jerusalem, but was not well received. In spite of 300 specific prophecies about this coming one, 300 in their writing, specific prophecies to prepare them, not to mention different kinds of types and hints and shadows through, through different Bible heroes and incidents that point to Jesus, not to mention the whole sacrificial system. Everything is screaming for the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. 300, in spite of those 300 prophecies, they reject him. They do not receive him. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He'll be born in Bethlehem. 
That's 500 years out from the, from the uh, stable there. 500 years. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. He will be equal to God. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. He'll be born of a virgin. He will die for the sins of the world. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. In spite of all of that, the stone is inspected by the Jewish builders and they say, uh, rejected. They turn him away. Now he's going to talk about this analogy and I want you to be clear on it. Here's, here's what you have to understand so that you can understand why he's comparing Jesus to the cornerstone of that edifice in a spiritual way and us as the little stones. See all the little stones? He's, he's going to make an analogy and say, look, it's not about that thing, but God is coming to bring fulfillment in Jesus Christ through a comparison of what's going on in that building. So what he's saying is the cornerstone would be, that all started with one stone. They called it the cornerstone. And without that cornerstone, you don't have any of that. So now Peter's saying, now in a spiritual way, Jesus is a cornerstone, not of that, This represents how to get right with God. For a thousand years, this is the third temple. Solomon's temple, number one. Zerubbabel's temple, number two. And Herod's temple, number three. This is Herod's temple. And Jesus is going to exemplify what what was going on in there. How to get right with God, the sacrifices and all of that. Let me just take, for example, you can leave that up there. Friday, October 7th, is Yom Kippur. Um, We did not celebrate Yom Kippur or any of the Jewish holy days. My father was a rebel and did not um, want to participate in his Jewish faith. And so, but here, let me explain to you what's coming up on Friday, where the roots were. They can't do this because they don't have a temple. But let me show you how this is going to relate to Jesus and to us, all right? By just looking at Yom Kippur, ancient days. Number one, here's what they would do. They would take lots and cast them between two goats to determine which would be slaughtered and which would be driven away. The goat for slaughter becomes the sin offering and was sacrificed and its blood was taken into the holy of holy place in God's presence and applied to what is called the mercy seat, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And inside were the Ten Commandments, supposedly. And the blood was on top of that called the mercy seat because we've broken those commandments. And now you're covered by this blood of the goat that represents you and your sins. And so the blood got brought in, laid on the mercy seat, and your sins were atoned for or covered. Yom Kippur. Yom in the Hebrew, day. Kippur to cover. And so the whole thing was about having your sins covered, not by good works, not by your effort, but by the substitutionary death of another on your behalf. That blood was walked all the way in, put on the mercy seat. The priest would come out and say, you're forgiven. It's accepted, but it's temporary. 
And then the second goat that was kept alive was symbolically laid all the sins on that goat and it went out the city gate of Jerusalem and driven into the wilderness and it was never to be seen. Again, symbolizing, I've dealt with your sins through the substitutionary death of another and those sins have now been removed and you will never see them again. Problem. Temporary. We're going to have to do this again next year. Because why? Because you keep on sinning. And that's a problem. All right? And then number two, it's the blood of a goat. I, how does that stand for your payment? And so a thousand years dress rehearsal. Get this in your head. A thousand years dress rehearsal of Passover, slaughtering a lamb, putting the blood on the doorpost. Death comes calling for you. And because of the blood on your door, death goes whoopsies and goes over you and says, payment's been made. I don't have to kill anybody in this house because they're already apparently dead. There's blood all over the place. (laughs) It doesn't quite go that way, but just work with me here, all right? Thousand years. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And now, Peter says... 700 years before Jesus came. See, I lay in Zion. Zion means all of Jerusalem. It's another word for the the hill for Jerusalem. And it also is called Calvary. It's the same place. And it's also called Mount Moriah, where Abraham hmm, offered his only son, but only didn't offer him all the way. Dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal. For the sea I lay in Zion, in Jerusalem, a chosen and precious stone rejected by the builders, and here it is. That's what it was all about. Not a goat, not a building, not the high priest and all of that. He said it was about me coming. The sinless one. Yes, I can pay for your sins. A, I'm a human being born of a woman. B, I don't have any sins to pay for on my own. The high priest before the two goats had to sacrifice a bull and bring the blood of the bull into the Holy of Holies for whom? For himself. He couldn't pay. This one can pay because he's the sinless one. He has no sin to atone for. He can lay down his life. He's going to say, Father, in the name of Adam and Ross and Barb and Julie and Joey, I'm standing in for them. Punish me the way they deserve. And the father said, that pleases me. I will crush you because of my love for them. See, I lay in Zion, this precious cornerstone, a foundation for all of salvation. If you ever hope to be saved, there's one way. How are you going to beat that way? Payment made in full by God, the sinless one, on a cross of wood that he spoke into existence on your behalf. Saying, it is finished. The Greek there translates paid in full. 
Oh, you're going to come up with a better way than that? He says, this rock, this cornerstone of your salvation, precious to you. Yeah, understatement of the year. Precious to us. My sins are forgiven. I'm accepted in Christ. I come alive because of what happened there. My old life is done. I'm not defined by who I used to be. I can be a new person because of what's happening here is death, burial, and resurrection to come. We'll keep that up there as we consider the cross. Just a beautiful understatement, precious to us. And then in the same breath, he says, that same stone that saves believers will be the unbeliever's demise. The scriptures foretell, Peter says, but to the rejectors, the scoffers, the rebels and the unbelievers, this same stone, God's precious and chosen one in love, will trip them up and make them fall. Two verbs. Precious to us, honored to us, wonderful for us who believe, who trust. That's all we do. For them, it's two things. It trips them up and it makes them fall. You cannot disregard the chosen way, the stone, without incurring injury. How many of you, let's look at these words. One is to stumble or to be tripped up. How many of you enjoy tripping over things? Let me see a show of hands. Isn't it fun just bashing your shin right into the coffee table in the middle of the night? That's so awesome. It is a dangerous thing to fall and to be tripped. The number one cause for seniors to be in the hospital, number one, is they trip and fall. Number one, my mom tripped over a step. She's 88 years old, and she's in the hospital. She broke her hip. She just tripped over a step. It's painful. You know, me, I don't really need anything in my way to trip on something. I just... (laughs) I'm not the most coordinated person in the world. One day I was walking into a classroom packed of students in my English class that I taught, and I tripped. And I looked for what it was that I tripped on, and there was nothing there. <laughs> I just, my foot just didn't get, you know, how I walk, kind of like I'm on vacation all the time. And my foot just kind of hit the carpet I guess and I tripped and it's like a you know how you do when you do that in front of everybody you say I just learned it how to walk you know and no one laughs just like that and uh, (laughs) it's one thing to trip over your little kid's toy in the middle of the night and it sir is another thing altogether to trip over the sacrifice, the chosen, exclusive, one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven and the Father but through me. Narrow is the door that leads to life, and few there be that find it. To trip over that, the Bible says, will cost you. It will cost you dearly. In terms we're not even uh, equipped to think about. 
So what did they trip on Jesus about? Well, they said, oh, he's a friend of sinners. Stumble. Oh, Jesus didn't comply with all their silly rules and regulations about, you know, taking a thousand steps only on Saturday, you know, and they kept these strings a thousand paces long in their pockets. So, so they'd be walking around on Saturday, letting out string to make sure they don't uh, sin against God by taking that extra thousand steps. Jesus didn't carry strings. And so they said, how could he be a Messiah? He doesn't have strings in his pockets. They tripped over him. He exposed their hypocrisy. Besides, he wasn't the kind of savior they wanted. Love your enemies, please. Laying down your life, washing people's feet. What kind of Messiah is this? Stumble. And people do it today. It's too good to be true. Stumble. I want my sins. Stumble. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to be having no Lord telling me what to do. That means I lose my autonomy. I can't just do what I want anymore. Stumble. And there, here's what the Bible says. Just as a matter of fact, he says, and they stumble because they disobey the good news. Here's what the Bible says your stumbling's about. It's intentional. It's not a whoopsies. It's not a, a, an intellectual dilemma, lacking information. It's not an amoral decision. It is your stumbling and everyone's stumbling, according to the Bible, is a refusal That means volitional, a willful act on your part to stumble. In other words, yeah, you stumbled, but it's your own fault because you closed your eyes or you didn't turn on the light or you left that thing sitting there. You are to blame for the stumbling. There will be nobody who said, whoops, I stumbled. Oh, I was. Yeah, the Bible says this. What may be known about God is plain to all. Because God has made it plain to all, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Men are without excuse. The Bible says you will have closed your ears to your God-given conscience. Everyone has one. You stumbled, yes, but you closed your ears to your God-given homing device within you. You stumbled, but you closed your eyes to the evidence of creation. Proof of God is all around you. All you have to do is look at a flower or a baby being born for you to know, wow, something big is going on here. But you closed your eyes to that, and you stumbled. You closed your mind to the word of God. We hear it. We reject it. You dismissed Christian testimony. You resist the Holy Spirit who's trying to convince you that you have a need. And whoops, you trip. Not God's fault. There'll be nobody at the great white throne judgment first time meeting Jesus. They will stand there at the great white throne and they will say, Oh, 
that was you. Here's how Jesus, we're winding down now. I'm going to take communion in just a few minutes. But let me paraphrase a really great story Jesus gave about how to get to heaven and who gets in and who doesn't. It says, Jesus described the invitation to heaven this way. Think of it like a distinguished king preparing a great banquet, and he invites many guests. At the time of the celebration, he sends his servants out to tell everybody who's been invited, come, everything's ready, come to my celebration. But everyone starts making excuses why they can't come. The first one says, I'm working on my house, and I have many projects right now, and I must go see to them. Please excuse me. Another says, you know, my work has been so crazy right now. I just bought some new computers, and I'm on my way to go set things up. Please count me out. Still another said, you know, I just got married, and you know how that goes, so cross me off your list, maybe next time. The servant comes back, tells the master that many people weren't interested in him, or his silly little dinner banquet that he's throwing. And rightfully so, the owner of the house becomes angry and orders the servant go out quickly into the streets, alleys, and town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, anyone who would be interested in me and my house and my table. Anyone. And he says, good or bad. Make sure the invite goes far and wide. And here he says, because I want the place filled, but know this, not one of those ungrateful people with all their lame excuses will get a bite of my food from my table in my palace. They have excluded themselves. Please stop saying to me, world, would a God of love send someone to hell? The answer is so obvious. No. You send yourself there. Look what he did to prevent that destiny. He doesn't send anyone there on that great and terrible day. He will look straight at that person and he will say, Thy will be done. And let's review all the opportunities that I gave you. Let's start when you were a kid. Let's go into your mind and your heart and let's just review all of it right here to show you that this is not my choice for you. This is what you shut your eyes to. This is what you closed your ears to. This is what you said stay away to. And you stumble. The last word he uses besides stumble is the word um, skandalon in the Greek, and it means literally the bait stick of a trap, and it means to take someone down. So here's what he's saying. This stone is precious to you all who believe, but it can stumble and trip some people up, and that's terrible, but it can also scandalon them, Take them down. Last slide. Today, I don't know what it is with slides. I really like them today. This is called a spike strip. 
And they use it, obviously, to stop bad guys speeding, getting away. When they know that a guy is out of control, they'll lay that down in the middle of the road. And I love what it's called. They call it also stop sticks. It's the same exact concept of the Greek word for what the cross is to all people. He says you will either trust and be secured and exalted and safe and a delight and it will be precious or there's only one other thing. It will stop you dead in your tracks. No human soul gets past the cross. It is the stop stick of eternity. No one will get by that. You have two choices. Repent and be put on the rock and be safe and secure from all alarm. Or you'll be stopped dead in your tracks. And then you will be judged. And then you will be cast away. Because you didn't come. The choice is ours. And then he throws in that little Calvinism right there where he says, I noticed nobody chuckled there. And it's a little disconcerting. Um, it, it says in, in verse 8b, it says, and of course, this is what they were destined for. Let me help you with that. I wrote it down. When a person willfully rejects Jesus, there is a destiny awaiting them. God doesn't appoint people to disobedience. He dooms that path to destruction. He doesn't say there's no time to get off that path, but he says, let me tell you where that path is destined. There's a destiny for that. So if you decide to say to the cross, you know, whatever, my good works are fine. I'm going to come back in the next life as whatever. And you take your chances there that you will pay the price because your decision puts you on a predestined path that is doomed. But up until the last breath, ask the thief on the cross when you got there, how many seconds did you make it? Do you hold the record or what? Right before, honestly, just a few breaths left, you can get off. That thief wasn't predestined to go to hell. The path of thievery and unbelief is predestined, man. You get on that path, that path is going. In other words, we may reject his way, but we cannot reject his plan. He's just smarter than all of us. <laughs> and he gets up earlier than everyone. It just He's impossible to deal with, honestly. And thankfully... It, he loves us, you know. So he says in Ezekiel chapter 33, why? Why will you perish? Why? Why? Look what I've done for you. I've laid this cornerstone in Zion, and he who, who trusts in it will never be put to shame. You'll never stand there and have God say, let's talk in front of all of heaven about your perverted thoughts and what's come out of your lips. And then we'll go to deeds done. In front of everybody, he says, oh, no, somebody who's had the payment in full is covered. You will never be put to shame. So men and women have free will, which I now call you to exercise. 
with 400 plus people gathered in the other room, the multi-purpose room, and our sanctuary, there are bound to be people who are seeking, who have not given their life over to Christ yet. Now I'm calling you, after that sermon, after your experience, after everything that's gone on in your long life to take you to this moment of a chance to make a free will decision. Get off the path that's doomed to destruction and accept the love of Christ as demonstrated through the cross of Calvary and get yourself situated on the rock. We're going to give you a chance to do that by just slipping your hand up and saying, I want to pray the sinner's prayer. We'll all pray it with you. And then, my friend, my brother, my sister, you can take communion with us. That will, just as another metaphor of what the cross is all about. Jesus says it's just about like food and drink that keeps you alive. This is spiritual. And anybody who believes in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, it gives life. And so... Why don't we pray together? We'll bow our heads and close our eyes. So as the worship team comes up and the ushers are getting ready for communion, let's take care of business. If you're sitting here and you're um, contemplating on coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so he just says, are you ready to trust me? You know, I'm, I'm worthy of being trusted. I created you. I loved you. I died for you. I'll prepare a place for you. I'll come back. I'll raise you up on your last day. If you would like to use your free will to respond to the gospel word and not disobey, but to use your free will to obey... Then just slip your hand up nice and high. I won't call you out. Thank you. There are two to my left. And anybody else like to raise your hand and be acknowledged? And we have pastors three. A new visitor that I met earlier, four. All right. You can put your hands down. And if you didn't get your hand up in time, please just mean it in your heart when we pray the prayer. And you shall be saved. It's not too good to be true. It's too good, but it is true. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm tired of disobeying. I obey you now by surrendering my heart and life to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. And shedding your blood in my place. Wash away my sins. Cover me with grace. And raise me up to a new life. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I may walk with you all the days of my life. In Christ's name. The solid rock. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. You can continue to play a little bit. Here's how communion goes. 
And afterwards, you who want to start a relationship with the Lord, we have, we're going to have people at the cross. We have Bibles, and we want to pray with you, we'll give you a Bible, a new believer's packet, and all of that. So don't forget about that. Now, here's how we do it. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just need to be born again, as the scriptures say. The brothers will pass to you a piece of bread, what stands for Jesus' broken body. We'll wait until we all take it together. At the end, I'll pray after we sing a song, or listen in this case. Shelly's going to sing a song while we contemplate the message and what God's saying. Keep the bread. If you are uncomfortable with being uh, taking communion, please decline being served. No questions asked, not a problem. Um, and so keep the bread, hold it. Shelly will sing, and then I'll come back. We'll pray, we'll take the bread, and then the cup. And then we'll dismiss. Okay, brothers, you can serve us. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves now to your care. Father, we're glad to be on the rock and we delight. And it's what a precious thing. Help us to help others up on to the same rock. To have a burden for those who are on sinking sand. In perilous times and days as we live, Father, let us not go through this life happy to be on the rock, safe and secure, and watch other people sink. Put that burden on us. Give us the wisdom, the discernment, and the the know-how, just the zeal, to help others find the rock and be safe. We commit ourselves to your care. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Hey, there's a reception at the end of the service. There's a cake reception for Mike D and Sarah. They just got married. So you're, everybody's welcome. We have cake for hundreds. So please hang out. God bless you.